The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. So as mentioned, the federal government has been coming under pressure to release the modeling data on COVID-19 in the country. The prime minister says we can expect that in the coming weeks, but there is more and more pressure on health officials to get it out there. You heard Ontario released its numbers today. Alberta's are expected next week. So what are the pros and cons of releasing these numbers and how are they put together? Well, to find out, we're joined by Dr. Catherine Beauchemin, who is a professor at Ryerson University and expert in influenza and mathematical models of virus spread. Dr. Beauchemin, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. All right. Now, first off, can you explain, um, and again, in a really understandable way, (laughs) how this data is put together? What is looked at and, and analyzed? So first I should say that my work is infectious disease modeling, but I actually work at the cell-to-cell level, so how the virus spread from one cell to another cell, not from one person to another person. But of course the models are very similar and they have a lot of um, of the same mechanism. So uh, what people are looking at is they collect the data um, from the different websites. Um, what's been wonderful about this, um, well, I guess wonderful is maybe not the word, um, but we've been getting a lot of, of data from a lot of places. And so it allows us to, for one thing, see what the current trajectory is, and from that to then explore how, how that would end up going in the future. So, so people collect these data. So what we have usually available are number confirmed, number death, um, and it's, it's traced back to a particular date. So when was the person originally experiencing the symptoms? And so from that, we can see at what rate we're getting new cases. Um, then how are best case, worst case scenarios determined? So there are ways to do it very simply by putting a straight line through the data if the data is kind of um, growing very cleanly. So for example, when I look at the numbers from Ontario, um, since about uh, the 15th of March, uh, the line has been very, very straight and flat. And so predicting how it's going to be next, we can say if we stay the course, what it's going to be in, like for example, it says, uh, like if you look at the slope now for Ontario, and it's been that way since March 15, uh, it doubles every four days. So we expect that every four days, we'll get twice the number of cases that we have. So right now in Ontario, there's 27, 2,800 cases. So we expect to see double that number um, in, in four days from now if the trend keeps, right? Um, now, what they do in these models is they say, well, what if that trend keeps? Where are we at in the future? So that's what I just said. But then uh-huh. you could say, what if people distance effectively? How much can we imagine that might reduce the current rate? And then at that point, how many uh, people, how many cases would we see instead in four days? Instead of doubling, uh, would it go just uh, 1.2 times more? Or So that's the kind of um, information the models give is, is what, what if we don't stay the course what if we do better have you been able to tell and i've got your modeling pulled up here on my computer beside me and i'm glad you do what you do and i do what i do because um, for me it's it's a little overwhelming to be honest with you dr Beauchemin. but how how can you tell which 
practices are working then when it comes to slowing the spread? Do you say, okay, well, on this day in Ontario, they put this in place, and this is what happened over the next seven days, over the next two weeks, number-wise. Is that how you can say that's how we know social distancing works? Yes, that is exactly how they do it. So, so what you the, the one kind of variable, if you want, is that we know what measures were taken when. That's that's just a matter of fact. Um, and then we have to kind of guesstimate ish uh, when we think these measures are going to start showing up in the data. Because you can imagine if if we start social distancing now, there are all the people who have already been infected, and five days from now, the numbers we're going to see because it's approximately five days uh, is the Median time to, um, or maybe mean time um, uh, to to seeing uh, the, the the start of symptoms, right? And so, in five days, what we will be seeing in these numbers and the data that's coming out is is what happened five days ago, right? Like, it's, it's, hmm. sorry, let me rephrase that. So, what we'll see in five days is what's happening today, and and yes. what. And, and so when we know the date of the social distancing and we say, well, we expect it to echo roughly five or six or seven days later, and that's what these models, they can better estimate what that delay is and, and what that, that, the error on that delay is, how certain we are of that delay. And then it allows us to see, well, that's the date we put that measure. This is, you know, X days later, and that's where we see the bend. So that was probably effective. Dr. Boschema, I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit. Do you think there are benefits of releasing the information? Are there detriments to releasing the information? Should governments be releasing it? My opinion is that more information is always a good idea. And, and even if it means panicking people, I think being very straightforward is, is, is appropriate. Now, the only thing I could say would be a negative is if somebody is doing a very bad analysis, uh, you know, I have a PhD in physics, somebody else has a PhD in, in, in whatever, and they're doing the same analysis. We come up with different numbers. We all have kind of the official feel that we're both, you know, university professors, we both do that professionally, what is the public supposed to know, right? So so in, in the past, the messaging has always been very manicured. There's the one source that's the official source of the government, and you get that information. But when people are all putting up their websites, um, it's not because necessarily you have a PhD in whatever that you've got any skill to do this in particular, right? And so then the public, it could lead to confusion. Um, so, so, so that's where there could be, like, how do you tell the difference between bad bad information and, and, and appropriate information. Dr. Boschma, I know you've been watching the provinces and the numbers throughout the province. I'm curious to know what you can tell us from your um, studies so far on Alberta. So I have to confess that I'm doing a study just kind of for myself. This is not something I intend to publish, but I've been tracking the numbers, obviously, like like all other Canadians being eagerly uh, waiting for updates. So I've, I, I have it my, my ability to do a bit more than, than with those numbers. But what I see with Alberta is that roughly on, on March 20th, um, there seemed to have been a bend in the curve. So, so, so starting at March 20th, it looks like Alberta was able to lower its, its uh, doubling rate, like the rate at which the infections, um, the new infections occur. And so there is some control measures that I would estimate probably happened you know, five or six or seven days before March 20th that has been effective. Now, I don't know exactly what the timeline has been for different measures that Alberta has taken, but to me, um, I see a, a clear bend in the curve around March 
March 20th. And so so that's where you would see. And the growth rate in Alberta is 12% right now. Um, and so, again, that's that's very nice. The, the unmitigated growth rate is around 20%. And so we can really see that whatever Alberta did, uh, starting on the 20th, it started paying off. It's starting to work. Well, that is good news. Before I let you go, Dr. Beauchemin, I, with, I wish I had a, a little bit more time with you. I was reading an article today that you were quoted in extensively about asymptomatic carriers and oh, yeah. how uh, yeah, and how they are involved very much so in the spread of COVID-19. Um, and a lot of people have been wondering about this. It said, uh, the article said, the number of people confirmed to have the coronavirus does not necessarily reflect, reflect the number of people who actually have been infected or who are carrying it without symptoms. Is there a way to know that number or estimate it? Yes, well, so yes and no. There possibly is. Like you can imagine, so those tests that, that they're doing, uh, that we're doing, like the, the checking if somebody is, is positive for the virus in their nasal swabs, um, you can imagine if we start doing that on a massive scale to anyone, whether or not they're experiencing any symptom or not, we could start seeing the rate at which people who feel totally fine are actually testing positive for that test. And assuming that this test is very reliable, that would start giving us an idea what fraction of the people actually have the virus and are showing no symptoms because so the other problem more we testing have, yeah well yeah we well, so we'd either need more testing or a completely different strategy because right now for example in ontario the last i heard and they might not be accurate now but they were mostly only testing people who were showing symptoms and were starting to have severe problems they were showing up at the hospital so if you do that then you're only seeing the people with symptoms you're only kind of keeping track ish of, of a portion of the cases if you instead we we tested none of these people we presumed them positive but instead tested at random we might actually be able to start getting to that fraction when we look at community transmission and we're like really out of time here but i need to ask you this question when you look at community transmission we know that it is happening do you believe that asymptomatic carriers are are making the big difference in that spread Oh, I would not be prepared to speculate on that because okay. without that information, what percent of cases are asymptomatic, it's impossible to tell. Ah, okay. Very interesting. Dr. Beauchemin, I want to thank you for joining me this afternoon. Thank you for your insight on this. Good luck on the work you're doing, and thank you for the work you're doing. We appreciate it very much. Thank you. Take care. That is Dr. Catherine Beauchemont from the uh, Ryerson University this afternoon. Um, yeah, when you talk about uh, data modeling, those numbers, what do you think? Do you want those numbers? Do you want to see them?